Um, So I'll read Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. So the end of that chapter, and then skipping a few verses ahead to chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. So Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but you can follow along in whatever translation you have, or just listen. Starting in Galatians 3, chapter, uh, verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Chapter 4, verse 6. And because we are God's children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, Or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? This is God's word. I also want to begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Papa God, our Father, thank you for your spirit that you have given us, the spirit of your Son, Jesus Christ, which enables us to call you Daddy. Thank you that you are a perfect Heavenly Father who desires your best for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning through your word May I say nothing that is not of you. May you direct my words and may your words and not mine speak to each heart this morning. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your spirit which brings us new life that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you grow the presence of yourself in each of our lives today and this week and throughout the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't have a PowerPoint for you this morning, and I don't have an outline in the, in the notes in the bulletin. There's a page, there's a blank page there that you can take notes. But when I, when I first um, became a pastor of a small country church when I was 19 years old, I received... Uh, some good words of advice from our, our pastor in, in Illinois, uh, Pastor David Korb. And he said, 
the more that he uh, pastored churches and preached God's word, the more he found that people needed to hear one main point from God's word and to just hear that flushed out for them and to, you know, to kind of come around it in different ways. So that's what I'm hoping to do today is to to bring home one main point from this passage of Scripture today. And I'm going to tell you what that is right at the beginning so that you don't have to guess what I'm going to say at the end. And then I'll try to illustrate it and explain it and, and apply it for us this morning. So the main point that I'm getting from this passage in God's Word comes at the very last verse that I read there in Galatians 4, verse 9. So I'll read that verse again. Paul said, So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? In other words, once you've experienced the grace of God in your life, Why would you even want to go back to anything else? Because the experience of God's spirit, God's grace and mercy in your life is so good. It's so perfect that nothing else is better. Why would you want to become a slave to anything else? That's the main point that I want us to to chew on this morning and to understand better and apply to our lives. This text is talking about times of change. The Galatians that Paul was writing this letter to, they were in the midst of a time of change. There were forces around them that were pulling them to change. And maybe each of us too is in a time of change. I don't know what type of change is coming upon you in your life today or this year, but I think change is always upon us in different ways. And so, in whatever time of change that we're in, this is also Paul's question to us. If you have come to know God, or better said, if God has come to know you, then why would you want to turn back to anything else? Anything else? It's a rhetorical question he uses there, and he's basically saying, it's ridiculous. Why would you even want to? Today, as I said earlier, it's it's kind of a landmark Sunday for me and my family. Um, I mentioned how we were commissioned by this church 17 years ago to go out as missionaries. And it's it's, it's also a landmark time for our family because our oldest son has just graduated from high school. The reason we've come home, uh, we were just on the field for two years this last time. Previously, we were there for four years before we came home, Um, but we were there for two years, and we've come home now for six months as um, as we kind of see our son out of the nest, so to speak, as he goes off to college. And, um, it's a time of change for us, and we don't know what the future holds. Um, when my dad left Ferndale some 58 years ago in 1959 to attend college at Biola in California? Who knew what the future held? Who knew that he would spend most of his adult life away from this hometown, away from the people and the places that he loved and the 
the people that loved him, who knew that that was in his future? Um, when I left home, when I graduated from high school and went to college 25 years ago, who knew that I would spend most of my adult life on the complete other side of the world and come back to places that I call home only so very infrequently? So as we have come home this year and um, we're saying goodbye to our son, at least temporarily, as he goes to college. It's a big time of change for us. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know how often we'll see each other again. And so my message this morning that, I've, that I'm getting from God's Word, it's first of all a message that I'm preaching to myself. This is a message that I need to hear because this is a time of change for me. And during this time of change... I need to hear this message. I need to evaluate how is my life lining up with the fact that I have come to know God and that God knows me. And Mandy mentioned in Sunday school that, you know, we transition a lot. We move a lot from place to place, and we're moving from a regional center in Papua New Guinea to a remote village in Papua New Guinea sometimes four times a year. And then to different countries, back and forth. And these times of transition are hard. It's difficult. But they're also opportunities. They're opportunities to start anew and to reevaluate and say, how is my life, how is my journey through life measuring up with what God is saying in his word and what I have already experienced of the joy and the blessings of salvation that is in Christ? So, first of all, this message is for me because I need to hear this message during... I mean, we just came back from Papua New Guinea like two days ago. And so we're kind of all in upheaval, still experiencing jet lag. And we're going to be living in a new place, children going to new schools. And we need to kind of establish ourselves again. How are we going to live? What patterns are we going to follow? And maybe you're not moving. Maybe you're not disrupting your whole life and going to a new place. But maybe there's other changes happening in your life. And I don't know what those changes are. There's changes happening around us all the time. And it's always good for us to reflect and ask, how is my life? Where is it going? And, and, and how does it measure up with what God is saying that we have in Christ here in this passage? Um, I'm not going to embarrass my kids, but I do want to say that I'm also... I'm also preaching this message to my oldest son because this is one of, one of the rare opportunities that I have to reinforce what he already knows, and I'm not going to have much chance to talk to him face-to-face -face much after this week. So I'm sharing today what I feel are some of the most important things to know and believe in life, things that I have learned. And it's hard for me to stand up here and preach to people like my oldest son and the rest of my family who know me so well because they also know how hypocritical I am. And I can stand up here and speak the truth of God's word, but they also know all of the sin in my life and how I've struggled with anger and how I've, I've blown it. They know that I'm a hypocrite. But I'm glad to know, too, and that most of us know, I hope, that God wants his church filled with hypocrites. 
not actively pursuing hypocrisy, but hypocrites who know that they're hypocrites and who are living a life of repentance and recognizing that it's true that I cannot live the life of faith in my own strength. I need the grace of Jesus to do what is right and follow him. I need his mercy for when I fail. And I will continue to live my Christian life no matter how many times I have to recognize that, yep, I was a hypocrite once again. The church is the place where God wants hypocritical people to find fellowship with other hypocritical people who have found the grace and mercy of God and the salvation that he wants to give us. So, again, I'm not trying to embarrass my kids, but I'm also preaching this message to my son Noah and my son Ellie because just a few weeks ago I had the privilege... Ellie, you're not a son! (laughs) Boy, I hope that was more embarrassing for me than it was for you. Okay. Um, My son Noah and my daughter Ellie because um, I just had the privilege of baptizing them as I did Josiah a few years ago. But I just baptized Noah and Ellie just a couple weeks ago as they made that decision to make a public profession of their faith. And we agreed that uh, during this time that we're in the States this year, we're going to continue a process of discipleship to strengthen what they already believe. And I'm reminded that a lot of the early church fathers, when they spoke about baptism... They also spoke to the whole church about how it was important to live out your baptism every day. You may have been baptized years ago, but they would call on the people of God to live out their baptism each day, to to follow Christ in dying to yourself, in being raised to new life that only he can give you. So I'm preaching this to them too as they solidify those beliefs in their own life. And I trust that for each of us, um, I'll preach to to myself and to them, but I think that the rest of you may be able to get something out of this message too, because this is a message that is for all the people of God. And let me summarize it once again. Since we know God, or better yet, since God knows us, why would we even want to follow any other principle of this world, to return to that, to return to the best wisdom of this world, it doesn't even compare to the wisdom of God and the salvation that is only through Jesus and the spirit that he gives us, the grace and the mercy. Over the last 14 months, I've lived, um, I've, I've, I've slept in five different countries in about 40 different beds, and there's been a lot of change. And I have to admit that in all that change, it's tempting for me to have my whole life disrupted and to, I'm I'm tempted to stop following Jesus in my daily habits, in my daily thinking, because my routine just becomes totally upset and is different, and you're trying to figure out, well, how are we going to eat in this new place, and how are we going to sleep in this new place, and how are we going to get around, and and it's, it's tempting to have that be a time where it disrupts my life of walking with Christ. Um, but as I already said, it's also an opportunity to say, this is a new, this is a new time. 
how can I, how can I strengthen what I already know and what I already have? Um, so as we've just returned to the States, it's appropriate to ask, where is home? Where is home for me? Um, as a missionary, so much of our life we spend away from home, and that's hard. It's painful. It's painful to enjoy our kids growing up and see all the stages of life that they grow, go through as they learn to walk and as they learn to talk and as they go to school for the first time. They learn to read and they, they learn to run and jump and enjoy life. And we think about all our family back home that's missing that and not sharing that with us. It's really hard to be away from mom and dad and my brothers and, and all my other family and friends. Where is home? It's a good question. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus told Peter, when uh, Peter said that you know, he and the other disciples were ready to follow Jesus, he said, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, to also receive eternal life. I've come to realize that you cannot outgive God. I used to think that I had given so much to God. That I had given my life to God. I, after all, I had become a missionary. I had given him everything. But as soon as I got overseas to the mission field, I realized that I hadn't given God everything because living my life every day is a question of, am I going to be living my life for God today or not? It doesn't really matter whether I became a missionary and went to the other side of the world. That was, that was one decision that had a pretty big consequence, but... How am I living my life out day by day? And that's true for me as a missionary, and it's true for no matter who you are and where you live, where you've traveled to, or where, where God has taken you in your journey through life. And I've come to learn that you cannot outgive God. God desires his best for you, and he wants to give you his blessings. In Malachi chapter 3, he's talking to his chosen people, the nation of Israel, and he's talking about how they haven't been bringing him all of the tithes and offerings that he asked them to bring. And he tells them that they've been robbing God. And he challenges them, and he says, he tells them to bring in all of the gifts that he has asked them to bring. Bring in the whole tithe, all of it. Don't withhold anything back. Give it all to God. And he says, he challenges them, and he says, test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's God's challenge. Follow him in obedience. Give to him what he's asking. And by the way, in the New Testament church, God is not just asking us for the tithes and offerings that he asked the nation of Israel to give. 
in the New Testament church, he's asking for our hearts. He's asking for everything. He's asking us to surrender everything to him and follow him. And I'm not trying to tell you that you have to become a missionary to do that. No way. That's not what I'm trying to say. You can do that no matter where God has you in your life. But have you done that? Are you giving God everything? Are you giving him your heart? That is what he's asking for. And I challenge you, if you follow him and do that, it might seem like a scary thing, and it might seem like this huge sacrifice that you need to weigh and say, is it going to be worth it? But let me assure you, you can't outgive God. He wants to bless you. He wants to pour out his grace and his mercy on you like you can't even imagine. And it probably won't look like what you want it to look like because what God wants for you is even better than what you could imagine for yourself. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is saying that if you live your life as a daily living sacrifice to God, giving him your heart, giving him all of who you are, you are going to find out that you can't outgive God. God is going to give you so much of who he is, and it's good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. You can't even imagine how good it is. So I've, I've kind of gone on this track of talking about home and talking about God's gifts to us. And you might wonder, what does it have to do with the passage in, in Galatians that we read? But I think some of the things that we read in this passage in Galatians speak about home in, in a sort of way. It can, we can understand the passage in terms of defining what our true home is. It talks about us becoming children of God, and God has given us his spirit, which enables us to call him Abba, Father. Abba was basically the Aramaic word for daddy. It was like the most affectionate way that you could refer to your to your father. And we can, call, we can call the creator of this universe daddy because it's that kind of relationship that he desires for us. So there's two characteristics in, in our passage in Galatians that I think kind of talk about what it means to have a true home. So one is, you know, one way that I think about home is to be in good relationship with, the, with your loved ones, with people that you love. When you're at home, like you're surrounded by the people you love. And so that's true for me when I'm home in the place where I grew up with the people I love there. But it's also true when I go to another country and I'm around my immediate family and the people I love there. And, and the new family that God brings into our life in his family. 
But the other thing in Galatians 3 that I see talking about home is, is this idea about having a confidence about our future welfare, a place where you know you can always come back to. Sometimes, oftentimes we talk about home as it's that place where you know you can always come, come back and, and find security, find a bed to sleep in, to find a meal, um, to know that your, um, your inheritance, your welfare is there in, in that home. Not everybody has that in this life, but those are, those are notions of home, what it means to have a, have a good home in this world. But as we relate to our Heavenly Father, it's even more real than what any earthly home is. Our relationship with a Heavenly Father who loves us is more good and real and true than even the best relationship with an earthly father. Having a hope in a secure and eternal future is more true, is more wonderful and amazing than having the best security, the best welfare in the home that you may have in this life. And Paul is talking about how the Galatian people that he's speaking to, they know this. They have come to know Christ. God has given them his spirit, and they've experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus. And they can call God Daddy. And they know that they have this eternal inheritance. And I just, I want to challenge each one of us today that these are the most important things that we could possibly attain to in this life. To know God as Father through His Son Jesus and the work that Jesus did through His death and resurrection. And to know the confident hope of an eternal security that will never be taken away from us. There is nothing more important than these things. These are the most important things that you can aspire to in this life. And everything else, as it says in Isaiah 64, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. And nothing else compares. Not even the good things that we do. So I want to think a little bit about, well, what are these worthless principles that Paul is talking about that they might return to? If, if on the one hand, we know the amazing goodness of God in Jesus, what are these other things that we might fall back to or be tempted to return to? Um, I'm not going to get into the, the Greek words here, but there is an, a very interesting word here that's used for these principles. Or uh, There's a lot of different translations for it. Elements, um, spiritual principles, but there's a couple adjectives that go along with it. So he says they're weak and worthless. Weak and worthless principles, spiritual principles. And interestingly enough, in the passage that I kind of skipped, I mean, we're not going to get into it, but... He even refers to the Jewish uh, law of Moses as being one example of those weak and worthless principles of this world. 
And he's, so he's not, in some senses, it's not, it's, it's kind of like this word that means kind of like building blocks or foundational elements. And that could be used in a positive sense or it could be used in a negative sense. And for the Jewish people, it was certainly a positive thing. It was the thing that led them to Christ. But it wasn't enough. Only in Jesus is salvation found. But these foundation blocks or these basic, basic principles, these elements, it was also true for any of the pagan people that lived in the province of Galatia. What, whatever they had in their traditional religion. They were the basic principles of life that they followed. Whether they were false or not, these were the basic principles that they had. And Paul is saying, whether it was the Jewish law apart from Christ, or whatever pagan religion that you might have been before, both of those are weak and worthless. And we lived in slaves to those, the, to those things. And it's only through Jesus, through his grace and mercy, that we have freedom. What are the, some of the weak and worthless principles that exist? Specifically for the Galatians... If you look at the rest of Galatians, especially in chapter 1 and elsewhere in the letter, he talks about how there's a temptation for them to follow some other good news that was not really the good news. It was a false good news. It was the good news. (laughs) In quotes, meaning not true. And there were, in this time and place, there were people that we call Judaizers, people who claimed to know Christ, to be Christians, but they said that belief in Christ was not enough. That you also need to follow the Old Testament Jewish law. And they were telling Christians that it's not enough to believe in Christ and accept the grace of God for your salvation. You also needed to follow the Jewish law. And Paul had very, very strong words for them. Most of our translations, I mean, I'm a translator, so I know what it's like when you have to translate things into a different culture, and sometimes there's things in the Bible, in the original languages, that are very common, very rude, almost. It was the common language of the people, and basically what Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 1 was that If anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel other than the gospel of grace that is through Jesus Christ that you've already heard, damn that. Sorry for that language, but that's basically what Paul said. He said, that is worthy of the damnation of hell. I don't go around swearing, but that is the kind of language that Paul said, and that is a legitimate use of that word. Because if you believe in anything other than the grace of God through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection and the grace, that is weak and worthless and will accomplish nothing for you except that kind of curse to be separated from God. Worthy of the fires of hell. 
So Paul did not hold back at all when he was writing to the Galatians. He used the strongest language that he could to say, don't do that. If you say that you believe in Christ, but then you're adding other things to it, that's just as bad as if you did not believe in Christ. What are some of the other worthless principles that we might experience in this world today? Um, in the last year, I've actually lived, I think this is the first time in my life, that I've lived in different places in this last year amongst animists in Papua New Guinea, amongst Buddhists when I visited Thailand, and amongst Muslims, and, against, and amongst Hindus just last month when we passed through Indonesia on the way home. So, for major belief systems in the world other than Christianity today. Animism, Buddhism, Islam, and Hinduism. Most of, the t most of my time is spent with Papua New Guineans. And they tend to follow their traditional animistic beliefs. And basically that means that they live in fear of spirits that they believe live everywhere, that, you know, there's a spirit that lives under that rock, and there's a spirit that lives in that water hole, and there's a spirit that lives in that tree, and there's a spirit that, you know, controls the ground that I plant my garden on. And if I want to be successful in life, if I want to have a garden that produces food for my family, well, I need to make that spirit happy and make sure that I don't offend that spirit so that my garden will grow. Or if I'm going to catch a fish today when I go fishing, I need to make sure that I can say the right things and do the right things. Rituals that they believe will appease those spirits so that those spirits will allow them to have a successful time in that place. Most Papua New Guineans would say that they're Christians. Christian church has come to Papua New Guinea now for just over a hundred years. And most Papua New Guineans have at least uh, given assent to the, to the idea that, yes, I'm a Christian. But most Papua New Guineans still live a life of fear to the spirits that they believe are all around them. And how will they survive and how will they be successful and they need to figure out how to control the spirit world around them. And they even have begun to think about God in that way. God is just another spirit that if I go to the right church that has the right doctrine, and if I say the right things, and if I do the right things, then I can now manipulate God to give me the blessings that I want. And that's no different at all from their animistic beliefs. What do I want, and how can I manipulate the spirits around me to get that? But now, they're Christians who, who know about another spirit, and how can I manipulate the God of the Bible to get what I want? And Paul is saying to people like that today, when you have known the grace and mercy of Jesus, and you've experienced the freedom from your old way of life, why would you want to go back to anything else? God knows what's best for you. You don't even know what's best for you. Submit yourself to God, and God wants to pour out his blessings on you. 
You know, the funny thing is, when I think about Papua New Guineans and how they relate to God, I kind of quickly realize that's kind of how I relate to God a lot of times, too. What do I want? And how can I live a good Christian life so that God will bless me? And I realize that in many ways, I live an animistic life even though I call myself a Christian. Maybe you do too. One of my friends in Papua New Guinea, his name is Joel. And he's a Bible translator. And when I first started working with him, he, he professed to be a Christian. But he talked about how he couldn't come to the, the translation workshop that we had because he couldn't come when others were coming, and he couldn't come by himself. And I said, well, why can't you come by yourself? And he said, well, we never walk alone because it's when you're walking by yourself, that's when you're susceptible to the spirits and you could be attacked and they could harm you, so I can't walk by myself. And I said, but you, you believe in Jesus, right? He said, yeah. And I said, I said, did you know that when you believe in Jesus and God has given you his spirit, that you never walk alone? Because Jesus is always walking with you no matter where you are. And he heard me say that, and it's like the lights went on for him. And he said, he just kind of smiled. And he said, yeah, you're right. Now, every time that Joel comes to a workshop, I ask him how he got there and who he came with and when he comes in. And many times he's come by himself. And I said, oh, so you walked by yourself. And he said, yeah. And I said, isn't it wonderful how far you've come? I said, remember that time when you told me that you could never walk alone? And he's, and he looks back and he says, yeah, it's really good. Why would he want to go back? Why would he want to go back to that slavery of always living in fear? Or always thinking that he knows best about what he wants and what he needs and not trusting his life to a perfect Heavenly Father who wants to bless him in ways that he doesn't even imagine. Why do we, why would we want to go back to anything else? When I went to Thailand last year, I was struck by how many temples there were, how many Buddhist temples. It seemed like I was living in a small town America where you might see a church on every corner, except it wasn't a church on every corner. It was a Buddhist temple on every corner. And then every property, like every business, every home also had their little shrine. And I was amazed at how prevalent that was. It just struck me as a, as a big sea of people that lived there that did not yet know God and they were still living under the tyranny of a principle, a fundamental principle for them but one that's not true, one that does not bring freedom, one that does not bring grace and mercy. But then when I went to 
Bali last month, it was even more shocking because in Hinduism, they have many gods. And it wasn't like there was a temple on every corner. It was like there was a temple every other house, a big temple, like the whole property is a big temple. And then at every house, there's lots of little temples. And then not only lots of little temples at each house, but every day they make these little um, altars of decorated flowers and food and incense, and they burn that at several places throughout the property. And we were driving with our, our uh, we, we hired a car several days, and we got to know this taxi driver because we were with him several days, and we were talking about our different cultures. And, and in Bali, they live with, close to, there's quite a few Muslims there as well. It's mostly Hindu, but in, most of Indonesia is Muslim. And in Bali, there's a mixture of Islam and Hinduism. And he was telling me how the Muslims that he goes to, that he sees they go to worship every day, he was saying, yeah, they don't, they don't take anything with them to offer as sacrifices. They just go and worship. And to him, that seemed really strange, that they were not giving anything in their worship. They were just going to pray. But in Hinduism, in his belief system, they needed to constantly be giving things to the gods and to their ancestor spirits. And it was motivated by their belief in karma. And they needed to do enough good in their life so that they would not be reincarnated as something like a mosquito that everybody wants to kill. And yeah, I mean, that sounds funny, doesn't it? But that's really what they believe. Can I live this life good enough so that I can achieve some kind of salvation where I won't become a mosquito, but where I can live another good life? And it seems like it's never enough. And he talked about young people who were depressed and not finding fulfillment in life. And, and he said, you're a Christian, right? He said, and you just believe in one God, right? And I said, that's right. And he said, the name of your God is Santa Claus, is that right? <laughs> With all seriousness, that's what he thought. He thought that the name of our Christian God was Santa Claus. And it struck me that in this first world country of Indonesia, this 28-year-old taxi cab driver who had graduated from high school, that was his knowledge of Christianity, that the God of Christianity is Santa Claus. But actually, in some ways, that might be closer to the truth for many of us than we even realize. Of course, we laugh at it, and we know that that's not true. But how do we treat God? How do we view our relationship with God? Do we treat him as if he's Santa Claus, where he's keeping his list, he, and he's checking it twice to find out who's naughty or nice? And if we're nice enough, then we'll get those gifts at Christmas time. But if we're too naughty, maybe you'll just get a 
coal in your stocking. It's kind of similar to the way my animistic friends in Papua New Guinea believe about God, isn't it? God is just another spirit that we can manipulate. If we say the right things and do the right things, then we will earn God's blessing. And he'll give us what we want. But actually, God has sent his son in the name of our God is Jesus. And Jesus is so much better than Santa Claus. Jesus doesn't just give us what we want when we put it on our wish list for Christmas. Jesus will give us what he knows what we need, even if we haven't thought of it. Sometimes what we need is persecution. Like in Matthew 10 that I read earlier, where it says anybody who's left family for the sake of me and the gospel will not fail to receive a hundred times more in this life and persecutions and in the life, to, in, in eternal life, in the life to come. But sometimes we need persecutions. God knows what we need. And that can be hard. But like in James chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? That's just crazy talk in the eyes of the world. If you say that to people that do not know God and live by the principles of this world, they would say, Are you crazy? When you experience all kinds of trials, that's not a time to be full of all joy. But why can it be full of all joy for us who believe in Jesus? Because God is present with us no matter where we go. No matter what we go through, what we, no matter what pain, what trial we experience in life, God promises to always be with us. And what can be better than that? To have that relationship with a perfect, loving, heavenly Father who knows even better than we know what is good and pleasing and perfect. So I'm not sure about each of you in your life today what it is that might be tempting you to stray away from the knowledge of God and your experience of God's grace and mercy through Jesus and the gift of his spirit in your life that enables you to live a new life. I'm not sure what it is that might be pulling you in a time of change to go back to some other principle or to add some other principle to your Christian walk. I don't know where each of you are today. I'm not sure what might be tempting you. Let me just give some examples I know when I was younger, I used to kind of kick myself for not reading my Bible as often as I should. Because I thought, man, I need to read my Bible every day. And if I'm not, then I'm not being a good Christian. And I'm not, I think I kind of thought that I needed to earn God's love by reading his Bible. Don't get me wrong, it's good to read your Bible. That's how we grow closer to God. 
but we don't earn God's love by reading our Bible or through prayer. We draw closer to God and experience a relationship with God through prayer, but we don't earn salvation or earn his love through prayer. Maybe having the right doctrine, having the right beliefs about Christianity, maybe that's where you stumble. It's good to have the right doctrine, but you don't earn God's love by making sure that every point of doctrine that you believe is the correct doctrine. Maybe you might stumble because um, you're tired of other Christians who judge others. And Christians shouldn't judge others. And you don't judge others, well, except for the Christians that you judge. Or maybe there's things that God has created, things that are beautiful, things that are amazing, the amazing world that we live in, the, the science and the, the, the amazing laws of physics and biology and chemistry and how the world works and technology. And the way that God has created the world is amazing. But are you substituting anything from the created world for the creator? Are you making anything that God has created more important and more glorious than the creator himself? Are you tempted to view your life as a Christian as a life where you need to say the right things and do the right things? And that if you don't, then God is no longer happy with you and maybe God will no longer love you. That is not what God promises. It is not about us saying the right things and doing the right things, but it is about being a new creation in Christ because he has given us his spirit. And yes, that spirit does enable us to follow him in obedience, but that is that same spirit that also gives us mercy when we fail. I want to end with just a short illustration of how we translate grace and mercy in the Papua New Guinean languages that I work with. These are difficult terms to translate. There's so many deep theological terms. In Papua New Guinea, most languages don't have any abstract nouns. They also don't have any passive verbs. So anytime you talk about something, you, ha you can't talk about it as a noun, like peace or mercy or love or grace. You have to talk about an action. And then you also have to specify who does that action and many times who receives that action. So how do you translate words like grace and mercy? I've learned that a lot of the languages I work with have a lot of body part metaphors to talk about these things. And so grace is a word that talks about how God pours out himself as a gift to us. He gives us. He gives us grace. He gives us himself. He gives us his spirit to give us the ability to even follow him. So very central to the meaning of grace is this idea of giving and how God is giving us his love and, and, and himself. So the Papua New Guinean languages that I work with, they are translating grace with a word that literally means, if I were to say, I give grace to you, or, or let's, let's say, God gives grace to you. They're literally saying, God 
liver, God is liver stomaching you. And what that means is that all of who God is on his inside, his stomach and his liver, these are the organs of our body that kind of wrap up who we are and what we have to give. And God is giving that to you. God is liver stomaching you. He is giving himself to you. What is better than that? And for mercy, they have another idiom where when you're angry, your liver becomes heightened in some way, maybe in heat, maybe in even maybe in some kind of physical way, like you're tensed up, right, because you're angry. But then mercy kind of has to do with, I'm not going to respond to you the way my angry liver would want me, would normally cause me to. So I liver go down to you. It's no longer heightened. It's no longer heated up. It's no longer at this, that tensed up place where it just wants to respond in anger. And that is what God does for us. We cannot please God through our good works. We will never succeed. We'll never be good enough. I will always continue to be that hypocrite. Although I thank God for his grace and his mercy I thank God for giving me his liver stomach and for liver going down to me so that he does not deal with me in anger, but he deals with me in love so that even though in this life I still fail, he gives me what is best and what is so good that nothing else compares. Let's pray. Oh, Daddy, God, thank you that you have given us your spirit so that we can have a relationship with you that is like a perfect father, a father that wants to give good things to his children. Lord, no matter who we are, no matter what belief system we may be tempted to follow, even within our own Christianity, Lord, we are often tempted to add other things to it or to be tempted by other philosophies, other principles that this world has to offer. Lord, help us to experience the reality of your presence with us in this life through the work that your son did for us, through his death, his resurrection, the forgiveness that he offers, and the spirit of Jesus that raises us to new life as we follow you. Lord, we cannot please you on our own. But Lord, we can enjoy you and we can experience this amazing relationship with you and the security of an eternal welfare, an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away from us. Lord, make that experience in each of our lives so real that we can respond to any temptation in the same way that Paul does. Is Why would we even want to go after any of those other things? Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, may you bless each person here today and this week, this year. 
may you cause the light of the glory of your gospel to grow in each of our hearts so that we may experience the fullness of your goodness in this life, even in the midst of persecutions, but also in the life to come, eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.